Welcome to the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast. We are your hosts, Alora and Kitty. And today we're having a very special episode in which we're going to answer your questions on magic, the paranormal, and more. So we've adequately dubbed this hour the witching hour since we're covering all kinds of questions. And we, we actually received like a lot. So we've had to combine some of the questions. So if you hear a question that isn't exactly your question, just know that we kind of combined a couple. Yes. <laughs> All right, girl, let's get started. Okay. Um, so the first question we're going to talk about, and this was one of those questions that we combined because it was asked a few times in different ways, but it was essentially the same uh, content. So Rachel asks, what is the best way to connect with my loved ones who have passed on without inviting in unwanted or negative energies or spirits? So, and it's, it's very timely, this question, and it's been asked in different ways in the group. And I specifically had something occur recently in our Facebook group that kind of put my spidey senses to tingling. <laughs> um, I posted just a general, just a general advice in the group today, which basically was saying what I'm going to tell you all that first of all, you need to make sure that you are maintaining a regular protective rituals, protective practices, meaning you're cleansing yourself and your space regularly you are, you have laid uh, wards and then, you know, upgrading or updating them as need be. You're wearing amulets or some kind of charms that might ward off uh, evil. You might be sealing your thresholds with salt, uh, red brick dust, different powders, um, all those kinds of things, they are necessary. And I think when you're not doing them regularly and you're trying to contact any kind of spirit, you're gonna let in things that you don't want. And so I put out a post that basically just wrapped all that up and, and said the same thing. Um, unfortunately, uh, so some signs that you know spirits aren't necessarily out for your best interest. If basically if it doesn't feel right, then it probably isn't right. First of all, let's just say that your intuition is never wrong when it comes to those kinds of things. And um, if the spirit or the energy comes across dark or foreboding in any way, it usually is not a goddess or a god, just in my experience. I'm sure there, there are darker entities that will come through in that way, but um, typically they're not going to come through like that. Uh, how do I put this? Do you know what I'm saying, Laura? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I definitely know what you're saying. And I will add to that any spirit that is causing uh, physical harm in any way. Yeah. Um, so waking up with bruises that weren't there the night before or scratches or anything like that, like mm -hmm. mm, there's a 99% chance that if that's a spirit, then it's not there for your best interest. <laughs> oh, that's right. It was the question of not just was there kind of a dark photo that went along with this person's post and i don't feel too bad saying this because she has since left the group <laughs> but 
Um, in addition to that, she was saying that while she was having this divination session, that something was scratching the back of her neck. Mm. Um, to me, that is not a goddess that you want to be messing around with. And it's probably not a goddess anyway. It's something else posing as that. So that can happen with ancestors or with anybody that you're, with any spirit that you're contacting, you just have to be careful. You have to learn how to discern, you know, between who's benevolent and who's malevolent or, or out to, you know, feed off your energy or what have you. So it's kind of a lengthy topic and I could go on and on, but it would literally take a whole podcast, which we may be doing anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in the meantime, there are articles on otherworldly Oracle blog that cover different ways to protect yourself doing spirit work, depending on the situation where you yes. are, et cetera, et cetera. So check those out as well. Yeah. Alora wrote a really good one actually. So that's helpful. Oh yeah. I swear by, um, covering the head. Like, yeah, I think that this, that question had to do with that too, because in my opinion, not just your crown, but the back of the neck is an entry way as well. Um, in some traditions. And right. so if there's anything scratching at the back of your neck, it's kind of like a, you know, tick, 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 like, let me in, you know, <laughs> you don't, you don't want that. So yeah, that would probably be bad. Yeah. Don't ignore stuff like that. You know, I think that was part of the problem too, is that it was being ignored or just chalked up to, oh, it's, it's definitely this goddess. No, I don't really don't think it is. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead with number two, lady. All right. So this next question comes from Lisa and she asks, when I was younger, my precognition was so strong, I would get nauseous and after years of suppressing it, or wait, I would get nauseous. After years of suppressing it, now I only get a small dollop. How do I find a happy medium? And a few other people asked, how do I open up abilities that seem blocked? So to answer, how do I open up abilities that seem blocked? I would say blockbuster workings are great for opening up one's self to clear abilities. Um, also, when we're talking about uh, having precognition so strong that you get nauseous and then you go through years of suppression, you may be dealing with some subconscious barriers that you put around yourself when you were young mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you were really scared. Yeah, that makes sense. So when I say this, I don't know how many people are going to understand what I'm saying, but I'm going to say it anyways and then I'll... I'll kind of explain it, but um, reverse shielding meditations may be helpful in this scenario. So when you shield your energetic field from receiving information like um, sixth sense information, so you've essentially built a barrier between yourself and receiving um, psychic information. So usually when you do shielding meditations, you're putting up that barrier because you're not protected and you're getting a lot of things all at once and you're experiencing other people's emotions or you're experiencing um, heightened paranormal activity or, or something like that. So in this instance, 
it's similar to cord cutting in that when you do your meditation, you're generally looking at your energy field to see what's there. And you may be surprised to find that you see brick walls or steel walls or some sort of um, barrier that's impen impenetrable essentially um, to your energy field. So if that's the case, you probably will have to do several sessions where you scale that back to something thinner, something permeable, something you can work with. Um, so that's really how you find a happy medium because you don't want to not be protected, but you also don't want to have steel walls and brick walls where you can't feel anything or you can't sense anything. Mm. I agree. And I think, you know, with anything, you know, opening up to your intuition and to your abilities, it takes practice, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's not like you just, you're not just going to have some incantation and then boom, like you'll be able to see auras and all of a sudden it doesn't work like that. You have, it's practice with all that. Well, yeah. And just like, you know, your physical muscles, right? You can't go and run a marathon after never having worked out at all or trained at all. You can't mm -hmm. just get up off your couch and run 10 miles. Like that's never going to happen. Right. So in that sense, exercising your psychic muscles, um, the more you do it, the better you get. And you know what? We just started this book club in the group and we're reading Matt Oren's Psychic Witch book. And it actually, it's like the perfect book for all these people that are asking about how do I open up to my abilities? How do I, you know, increase my abilities? Well, he gives all of these exercises in the book right off the bat in the first chapter. Um, so I highly recommend that. And, you know, some people are saying, oh, this just feels like it's too deep, you know, for a beginner. But it's like, yeah, but if you get these concepts down and you're able to, you know, visualize or like, you know, just, um, go into that alpha state of mind, then everything else I feel like in the craft is going to come a little bit easier. Right. And like you said, it takes practice. Right. So I think people just need to keep in mind <clears throat> that they need to have patience with themselves. Like it, you're not going to get it the first time. So, I mean, it's very rare. Right. Um, so don't just, you know, first time it doesn't happen give up and say, oh, this don't work. Well, oh, yeah. <laughs> Look, I had to do the first exercise was just literally counting down from a hundred and then, you know, me like getting into the alpha state of mind at the end of a hundred. I had to do that like five or six times before I could actually make it to, down to zero. You know, <laughs> like it's not, it's not always, the stuff isn't easy. It just takes practice. So. Agreed. Very good. And speaking of meditations. Okay. So our third question, Sue says, my meditations and personal tarot readings are becoming super intense and emotionally draining. The cards seem to reinforce the messages in my meditations. I am exploring past lives in the Akashic library and the cards keep telling me to continue on this path. Is there any way to lower the intensity? So the first thing I'm gonna say is you should be grounding any extra energy from your sessions directly following um, a reading or meditation, especially if they're 
if they're so intense that you know you're becoming emotionally drained in my opinion you're just having a lot of energy that you need to ground right so directly following a session you should be eating something earthy you know bread or what have you or maybe doing a grounding technique or both so if you're not doing that definitely do that the next thing is you say it's emotionally draining I say lay off of it for a little while and then come back to it later. Sometimes you need, you know, a break from spirituality. If, it, if it's getting so intense and emotionally draining that, you know, I just, I feel at that point, you just need to take a step back. You can still continue on the path of learning more about your past lives, but there's no reason to do it so much and so often that you're feeling so drained because that's just not healthy. Um, I also want to add, you know, doing past life work can be very emotional and healing, but sometimes we can get too caught up in past lives and forget the importance of why we're here in this life. So just take your time, take breaks, and then also you want to reevaluate why you're doing this work. Yeah, okay. I agree. <laughs> well, yeah. I really agree. And especially the last part that you said about um, getting too caught up. Yeah. Because doing past life work, um, no matter what, what kind you're doing, it is, it is probably some of the most emotional work in spirituality, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, aside from shadow work, um, past life work is, and I think it's so emotionally involved because you're faced with these traumas and these experiences that, come back to you that you remember, et cetera. Yeah. But now we're in a different lifetime and there's nothing you can do about what happened. And I think that's the really hard part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just have to accept that, you know, that there's nothing you can do about <laughs> another life. So. Yeah. And I, and I think too, like, it's really important if you're doing past life work to, allow yourself time to process right a particular memory or experience of past life because mm -hmm. uh, some of the ones that i've had literally have knocked me for a loop for months oh yeah so it's not it's not all you know happy rainbows and unicorn farts you know <laughs> <laughs> no no it's definitely not but i feel like i just feel like from this question, um, the way that it's posed, I feel like um, maybe there's like this rapid succession or research happening in yeah. the Akashic Library, and I and I feel like like slow down, like you're right. Not yeah, that's exactly yeah. Time. That's why I said yeah, exactly. Take your time. You know, you can take breaks. You don't need to like. But I can see how you can become consumed in it because I've found myself doing that too you know. Oh, it, yeah. It's interesting. It is interesting. It's definitely fascinating when you start learning these things about your soul and where you've been, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I've gotten that way at points too. Um, but it's interesting for me because whenever something like really jarring has come up and I'm in past life working, um, I literally cannot continue like I'm just like no like yeah. I can't I can't do anymore <laughs> yeah
Yeah. And then you don't, you don't have to, you know what I mean? So right, <laughs> you're here in this life for a reason. So truly that's what we should be fully focused on. Right. Exactly. All right. So our next question comes from Charity and Charity asks, how do I connect with the ancestors more easily? I sometimes feel, smell them, but it feels like they aren't coming through as well as they should. Okay. So my first question would be, do you have an ancestor space in your home or dwelling space? Uh, if not creating one will give them an open doorway to walk through and a place to reside. Mm -hmm. Um, also wearing heirlooms or performing activities of your ancestors is another great way to seduce a stronger connection. Mm -hmm. So like if you, for example, if you have, um, any type of jewelry that belonged to an ancestor or, you have a particular recipe that was always made by someone who is no longer in this world. Um, doing those types of activity, cooking that recipe or wearing that jewelry uh, can elicit a stronger connection to the ancestors. Mm -hmm. um, and I really feel like, I feel like it's a time thing too, because I feel like you need to have an established practice of sorts with yeah. working with your ancestors. Mm -hmm. um, and then over time, like the connection gets stronger and stronger. Yeah. It, it's, and I know a lot of people will say, well, I can't do this, but the family tree aspect I feel like is really important from my experience. Even just, I mean, just putting a little bit of effort into it somehow really like paves the way or like really opens up that channel. I don't know why, but I just feel like it's really important. Does that make sense? It's hard to put into words, but. Yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree. But I also everything think. Everything you said, obviously, but I, I think, yeah, the more you're, the more you reach out to them, you know, the more you spend time, like you said, time is a really important aspect. The more you spend time with them or just thinking about them or working on a family tree, the more it builds those connections, right? Right, exactly. And if you are someone who is adopted or doesn't know one side of their family or something like that, mm. you can still, if you choose, like if you were adopted and you want to have a relationship with your adopted family's ancestors, that's completely fine. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like I, like we said before in our ancestor podcast, it's not necessarily DNA. So it's whoever has poured their time and love and, and effort into making you who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to place such an emphasis on the family tree because I know some people don't have, you know, the ability to do that, but I mean, I guess just in general, you know, just spending more time honoring them, their memory, whatever you can learn, whatever you can do. It's just, it's all important. Like you can't just, it's just with, it's like with anything else in the craft, you can't just approach a topic and hope that it just clicks right away. Right. It takes time and effort with literally everything. Exactly. Yeah. Bingo. <laughs> okay. Um, so 
Going on to the next question. Laura asks, how do you know if you're doing a spell or magic correctly if you don't have a coven near to ask or learn from? So the question, the answer is fairly simple. You don't need a coven <laughs> to learn from. This is my right. opinion, of course. <laughs> there are some traditional people out there that will tell you you absolutely have to learn from a coven or you know, have a mentor or, you know, study under a high priestess or what have you. But if you're going about the solitary route, if you don't have a coven near you anyway, you're going to be solitary. So the answer is you're going to learn by yourself and you're going to learn from yourself. So I started out solitary. I rolled with a coven for like a year and a half when I was 20, but we didn't teach each other anything. We basically just met for the Sabbaths. And I've been solitary ever since. So I guess my point is you have to teach yourself. You have to trust in yourself to know your magic will be effective. It's not about whether you're doing it wrong or right. It's about you got to try. You're going to fail. You're going to try again. You'll find your flow eventually. And then two, it's, in my opinion, it's a little, I don't know. This is just me. For me, it's a little scientific. So I cast a spell and then, you know, I have everything written down, my ingredients, how I raised energy, you know, um, all the steps that I took and then how I fed it afterwards, you know, all those things, I write all those things down and then uh, I write down the results and then I evaluate, you know, basically was everything that I did effective? You know, did I align my timing well? Did I raise enough energy? Did I feed it? Um, with the right energy afterwards did I you know all those things you kind of have to yeah it's kind of like science and my this is just how I do things like not everyone does it this way but I have to look back and go was this effective and that's how you can know if you're doing it right or wrong if you really want like you know proof <laughs> yeah I mean I don't do that... it with everything but I think especially in the beginning it's important if you're by yourself that you record everything that way you can look back and see would you agree with yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I don't think that you need to have anyone near you to ask um, mm -hmm. if you're doing something right. I experience is the best teacher when it comes to practicing magic. Period. Yeah. End of story. Um, yeah. Because yeah. what works for you doesn't necessarily work for me. Right. But if you never so, try, then you're never going to know. I think a lot of people are like just scared to actually practice. You know, we get stuck in this phase of just studying and we never actually do. Right. You know, I mean, sure, you can retain some knowledge from reading and writing it all down, but you're, you're never going to really like absorb it until you do it. You know, you practice it, you use your hands, you know, you actually do it in real life. Does that make sense? <laughs> Oh yeah. It makes complete sense. And like, for me, I think really early on in my practice, actually probably from the beginning, um, when I would look at spellcraft and, um, ingredients and instructions and things like that, I would read, you know, what authors had written or what, you know, whatever I was reading. And I'd be like, yeah, but I don't want to do that. So I wouldn't. Right. <laughs> so, um, but then at the same time, like, that's also how I learned, oh, that's why they said do this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Because exactly. that's, 
that's how you learn. <laughs> like you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, and you, you can't be afraid to make mistakes. Like it's gonna happen. It's it's a part of learning. You're never gonna. Right. It's not gonna be perfect. Like I said, eventually after you've been doing it for a while, you kind of find your flow. You know what works for you. You know. I don't know. It's just, yeah, it just takes time and practice. Really. We've been, I think we're going to keep saying that till we're blue in the face, but <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. All right. Go ahead. Rebecca asks, how do you learn to interpret dreams? Is it possible to pick up on other people's dreams? I love this question. I knew Thank you, you would. Asking it. I knew you would. <laughs> I was like, man, this is a good one. This is a really good one. Um, (laughs) so it is absolutely possible to pick up on other people's dreams. Mm -hmm. Uh, people who do this naturally are commonly known as dream walkers because they can access other people's dreams at will. Yeah. Um, interpreting dreams is like interpreting signs and omens. So, but it's a little bit different. So Mm -hmm. keep a journal by your bed jot down the most vivid things from the dream that you can remember. Then what you want to do is you want to analyze what those events or things mean for you on a symbolic level. So an example of this would be you had a dream that you came upon a deer with large antlers. So for me, deer symbolize masculinity, strength, grace, hearth, home. So I would look at that as a sign of masculine divine energy coming into my dream. Mm. Um, And I think, and I really think also making a compendium over time of symbols so that you know, immediately, like once you interpret like what the deer symbolizes to you, when you have another dream of a deer and say it's a little bit different and you see the deer getting shot, in your dream. Then you can be like, okay, well, deer symbol, deer symbolize this for me. Okay. So what does it mean that, that that's getting shot? Do you, mm-hmm. does that make sense? Oh yeah. And actually it's a great idea. I never thought to actually make a list of dream symbolism as far as how it pertains to my dreams. That's a great idea. And it's so weird too, that you're talking about deer. Cause I literally just had a dream about deer like two nights ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. That's, Hilarious, but you know what's funny is dreams and tarot are very similar in this way. Mm-hmm. So tarot as well. Whenever I, whenever I'm talking about it, or people are asking me questions about how do I know what this means, what that means, one of my biggest tips is you need to figure out what these cards mean in your life. So you need to basically you know, pull one card and then see how it plays out in your day. Mm-hmm. And then you record that and you have that and you say, okay, well, the three of pinnacles, you know, I went to work and it was a crazy hard day at work. So then you have that meaning to come back to at a later time. So, and I think dreams are the same way. Mm-hmm. I agree. They offer a lot of insight. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've been having a lot of dreams lately, crazy ones, but anyway. Yeah. And, um, dream walking, let me just say, that's like a whole nother subject that I Mm -hmm. could talk about for a whole podcast. Um, (laughs) 
What? I said, we will. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> we need to make a whole dream and dream walking astral travel type podcast. Oh, yes. But there, like, there's so much that, that dream walking covers. Like, I can't, this is not the podcast for that right now, but just know <laughs> that there's a lot that goes into it and um, precautions and all kinds of things if you are a dream walker. So, um, yeah. put that, put that on the list of future sure. podcasts. <laughs> yeah. It's on the list. Definitely. All right. Your turn. Okay. So Kitty, which is not me, this is another Kitty. Kitty <laughs> asks, <laughs> I want to learn more about birds and feather magic. She has a couple of questions here. She wants to learn about birds and feather magic and also bubble magic. She says any information is helpful. So these are specific topics, but they're also kind of broad. Um, so I'll answer to the best of my ability. So my first suggestion with bird and feather magic is to learn about the birds in your area. You should purchase a bird watching book or a local bird encyclopedia or pamphlet, whatever you can get your hands on. Sometimes you can get them on Amazon. Sometimes like a local nursery will have them, I've found. Um, and then, you know, it sounds a little nerdy, but go bird watching. You don't have to have like binoculars, but, you know, <laughs> go for <laughs> nature walks and um, try to see if you can identify them by sight and then see if you can identify them by sound. I feel like I don't know why these are both important when you're learning, when you're going into like bird magic in general, but the sound, if you, you know them by sight, that's one thing, but if you can know them by just listening for their sound, it's like another level of connection with them. Hmm. So I have uh, my house bags up to a very large nature park. And in the fall, just about a month ago, we usually have uh, bald eagles come in. Oh, pretty. And I, yeah, and I've learned to identify their sound. So I can even actually hear them from inside my house. So if you can learn to do that with, with different birds, it, it's, just, it's just another level of connection that I recommend. So also we wanna get into bird augury, learning to you know, see their uh, flight patterns, um, identify their behavior and you know the different kinds of signs and messages those bring. That's a great area to look into. Um, when we're talking about finding feathers, you can compare and identify which bird it belongs to. Save the feathers, you can use them during meditation to connect with a, a certain bird's message. You could also consider learning shape-shifting rituals to become the bird. Use your feathers during the rituals, you can wear them. You can actually infuse a bit of the feathers essence into an oil and make a flying ointment. So feathers can also be used as decorations for accessories. You can put them on hats, jewelry, wear them in your hair, keep them in your purse. All these things are gonna help you connect further with the bird, whatever bird it is that you wanna connect with. And so moving on, as for bubbles, blowing bubbles and counting how many produce in one breath. So you're gonna read the pattern in which they pop or float. Another fun way, if you have kids, you can just watch your kids playing with bubbles, mimic their actions to gain further insight on a topic. Bubbles are kind of unique in that they're both water and air. So they can also be used in spells for emotional balance, lifting the mood, obviously, sending communication and prayers to the ether. 
And also another thing I thought of, you could chant or pray over each bubble that you're producing. And one word is enough, really. So that wraps that whole thing up. <laughs> well, that was, a lot of, on that. that was a lot of information. <laughs> yeah, I could have uh, kept going, but I was like, let me just wrap this up in a paragraph, hopefully. No, no, I totally agree with everything you said. And one thing about over here in Australia, at least where I live, uh, that is one, th that is probably one of the things that I first noticed when I started coming here was the bird sounds were so completely different because when I first came over here, it, it literally sounded like I was in a, an aviary because there's, Whoa. yeah, there's so many different tropical birds here. Like we get lorikeets in our lemon trees in the afternoons and they sound like their sound is specific in the Are morning. They, did you say they're a lorikeets? No, no, no. Lorikeet. L-O-R-A-K-E-E-T, I believe. I know. I'm trying to make a joke. I thought your name was in there. Like, a oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, darn Almost, it. Just, just no A or H. Okay. Laura Keeks, uh, got it. You also yeah. have snipes down there, I've heard. I have what? Snipe. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's like it's like a myth mythical like. Oh no! I anyway, honey, I'm from the south. I've been snipe hunting when I was ten years old, and I don't <laughs> want to talk about it. It was a terrible experience. <laughs> uh, <laughs> stop it! Oh my god, that's hilarious. Yes, I had loving parents. <laughs> snipe hunting. Go look for the snipe. Okay, but um. No, we actually have magpies here. Um, oh, I've never actually seen those. That's so cool. Oh, yeah. Well, they're all cute and cuddly until it's mating season, and then they dive bomb your head. I was going to say, I've heard they're a-holes a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, can get really, you can get really hurt from a magpie. I mean, because they, they will swoop your head, and if you, like, mm-mm. But, um... But yeah, so definitely the sounds. The only problem with bird sounds is if you live in an area, like a wooded area, you get a lot of like wrens and tiny birds that aren't so, like they have very similar sounds. Yeah. That's, mm -hmm. that's the only thing that I would say, like, well, but you may have to be watching to yeah, figure well, out where the sound is. Yeah, I agree. But you... Yeah, there's a lot of little Twitter, like tweetering kind of birds, you know, but I'm saying like there's certain birds that have specific sounds, like a cardinal, I've learned to identify cardinal sound. I know the blue jay, I know the crow, I know the bald eagle. Um, oh, we even have green parrots here where I live. I know their, their sound. So, you know, different birds like that, they're more distinguishable than the other, like smaller right. wrens and stuff, I guess. So yeah, and owls, obviously at night, if you, you can hear an owl, it's pretty, pretty easily to, uh, pretty easy to identify. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All what right. Bubbles. <laughs> have you ever bubbles? used bubbles? So I have never used bubbles in magic, but now I want to try it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It seems kind of cool. I'm like sitting here thinking about all these, I'm like, oh, we could read this and they pop and they float. Anyway. All right. <laughs> Moving on to yours, because I feel like this next one's pretty interesting. So this next question 
I believe is from the same person. Yes, but I broke uh, it up because I felt like it was, you know, it, it warranted its own. Its number. own question. <laughs> so Kitty also asks, is there a way to get to the fairy realm? What is the simplest, safest way? What are some precautions one should take and how does one protect themselves? Okay. So I'm going to preface this question <clears throat> with, if you do not have an established relationship with the Fae, please do not try to go to their realm. <laughs> it will not go well. <laughs> mm -mm. <laughs> um, I think that's the best method of protection when uh, seeking to go to the Fae realm is just to don't have do an established... Do what? You're saying just don't do it? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm saying, oh. <laughs> I'm saying to have an established relationship. Oh, um, okay. I think that's one of the best forms of protection um, because if you're, if you have an established relationship, they have accepted you, they are working with you, uh, then they are far more likely to allow you into their realm. And they're far more likely not to wreak havoc <laughs> on your life. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> so Meditation can get you to the realm of the Fae. That's probably the safest and easiest. Uh, using flying ointments may make it easier, but if you are not adept at using flying ointments, you need to do research and, and uh, experiment before you at attempt that, mm -hmm. I would say. Become very knowledgeable. Um, astral travel is another avenue you can pursue. This mm. is a little bit more difficult. Uh, some people are nat natural astral travelers, so that might be easier for someone who automatically astral travels That's um, me. <laughs> <laughs> to get there. That's probably the only way I'm getting there. Yeah. Um, but like I said, the simplest and safest way is meditation. Although I will say that the meditation has to be pretty deep mm -hmm. and pretty, you have to be pretty much in a trance state to get there. Um, also, I would not recommend doing this without someone else around, whether they don't have to be in the same room with you or anything like that, but just make sure that, you know, your partner or whoever roommate, uh, friend is where is where you are just in case, um, you know, you get too deep and they can pull you back to reality. Mm -hmm. uh, they, can, they can essentially pull you back to this existence. Um, I personally haven't heard of anyone getting stuck there, but it's always possible whenever you're in a trance state, um, depending on what you're doing, whether that's uh, traveling to past lives or trying to get into another realm of existence or visiting the underworld or anything like that. Well, there's so, legends about it, though. There's a, a ton of them. Well, yes, there's a ton of legends. I'm just saying yeah. I personally don't oh, know. Oh, yeah, I got you. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm fully agreed. Me too. I'm just backing you up and saying like, it, it I'm sure it's happened because we wouldn't have all these, um, you know, just the old folk tales of people getting like stuck in fairyland and they come back and they set foot on this earth and it's been like a hundred years and they shrivel up, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. 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 I love Definitely. those legends, by the way. I eat that shit up. I love it. Oh, I don't know. If <laughs> anyway, 
Good job. <laughs> Oops. Now I got to put like the warning on it or whatever on the podcast. Warning. There's a curse word. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the Faye can be really helpful, uh, but if they don't know you and you don't know them, they're yeah. unlikely to be welcoming um, right. and they're tricksters. So mm-hmm. if you try to enter their realm and they don't know you and they, you know, they, they would probably see that as an intrusion and then, mm-hmm. you know, your keys will go missing and, you know, things will start getting knocked over and, and yeah, they can wreak some pretty good havoc if you are not careful. So just a recent personal experience I had like a week ago, I went lucid in my dream for the first time involuntarily in like many years. Mm -hmm. And in the dream, like something was chasing me and I I always know that I'm lucid if I, I, it's just something that anyway I fly and then I I get away from whoever's chasing me so that's how I know that I'm lucid usually if I'm flying and then I landed and what I'm pretty sure was like the fairy realm um these beings were taller than me sort of like if you've ever seen that movie the BFG do you know what I'm talking about yes <laughs> Yes, I have. <laughs> kind of like a giant. They're a little bit smaller than him, but they have really large heads and like pointy noses and that whole thing. And they did not like the fact that I was there initially. They were kind of like hooting at me and like making all these strange like remarks and things. Um, but it was kind of weird because I knew that it was like the fairy realm. And then I had some guides like come in and kind of help me out like there but anyway i just thought that you would find that interesting but i don't usually go there at all so i found this question kind of fascinating also um i have another tip as well if you are purposefully traveling there make sure or it's a good idea to be as free of iron rich foods as you possibly can for 24 to 48 hours prior Um, iron is an irritant for the fae it's Mm -hmm. it's like they're it's like an allergy so um you probably want to steer clear of iron rich foods just to make sure that you know you don't irritate them (laughs) yeah it would probably make it easier to go into that realm too if you're you're not full of iron right that would make sense right but i'm not recommending anyone do that to get a dangerously low iron count True. please don't do no that. no 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 oh please no no we don't want to do that no yeah no just it just means like skip the just back off meat. a little bit off the red meat right <laughs> all right anything stuff. else to add no i we could talk about that one day too as a whole podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah we could yeah All right. So no, we're good there. So we can move on. All right. Um, So Melissa asks, how do you know you're being called upon by a deity? Whew. This is a big one. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And we kind of went over this in our podcast. I think it was called Our Pagan Gods. It was one of the first ones you and I did together, I believe. Anyway, yeah, so if you want to so. go back and if y'all want to go back and review that, if you haven't listened to that, we go into more detail there. But so in my experience, certain deities can be more subtle than others when they come to you. But if you're ignoring the signs for long enough, they can become pushy, as Alora yes. will tell you. Um, 
in that podcast. So you'll learn more and more how gods communicate as you practice and you go further down your path. Like we've been saying, it's a lot of experience, but some of the examples of how they call you include with recurring signs and symbols, sending animal messengers. This is a really common one for me hearing a song with their name in it or seeing a character on the TV named after them. This is part of the recurring signs and symbols. Then let's say you pick up a book and you read a chapter and boom, there's their name again. It just kind of, it keeps happening till you get the picture, right? Till you're like, oh, this is Bastet or whoever, you know, it's pretty obvious. I've seen, seen this name 10 times in the past week or whatever. So, but it all really depends on the deity but these are some common ways of communication. These are ways that they'll try to get your attention. So recently I was reading a book and, you know, you have those moments sometimes where you question things a little bit, if you're even just a little bit skeptical. And I questioned if the gods were actually real sentient beings and Bass decided to send me like a flock of cats within a few days, <laughs> like, Everywhere I went, I was seeing stray cats, like literally everywhere. I don't know. I like to the point I've never seen this many. Like I get up, like I go to, you know, the dentist and there's a black cat crossing my path. And then I go somewhere else. There's another black cat. And then I'm unloading my groceries in my driveway. Another black cat comes up, like literally right behind me and just sits down and stares at me, like just over and over. So if you're not getting the message at the beginning, sometimes they will, they'll just, they get they can get pretty um pushy in some ways and then they'll just keep trying until they get your attention you'll know basically i'd say that you kind of offended her <laughs> who bastet or bast yeah yeah. She, yeah she was like oh really <laughs> i know it was a dumb thing to do because i have an altar like i know that i've worked with her in past lives and you know, but everyone questions, you know what I mean? You always have, it doesn't matter what religion or spiritual path you take. You're always going to have that one moment where you're like, is it real? You know? <laughs> oh yeah. And I just think it's hilarious how deities will be like that though. Like, oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You think, <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I get it. So now it's kind of funny. We have this uh, like system set up. If she wants more attention from me, just even a quick little prayer or like, you know, the catnip refreshed on her altar that like, I'll start seeing more stray cats. And then I know, okay, I get it. I get it. <laughs> you know. So I think that we're only going to have time for two more of these. I know. I didn't realize yeah. that it would be so meaty. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll have to do a uh, part two or Maybe we'll have to make this like a regular addition to the topic podcast. Yeah. It sounds good. Okay. Sorry. So, I'll probably talk. I'm doing the one, all the like blabbering. So I'll stop. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> okay. So the next question comes from Ellen. I hope I'm saying that right. Or Elon. E-L-A-N. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so it says, suggestions for evolving and growing as a witch and person during the cold winter months. So winter months are generally reserved for growing internally in your magical practice. There are some witches who blossom during the winter and really come out and are more active, but that's more the exception than the rule. 
Um, because the earth is hibernating. So it only makes sense that you would be hibernating as well. Mm -hmm. um, so a good majority of witches will tell you that winter is their least active witching season. And that's perfectly fine. Um, reading, journaling, medi meditating, shadow working, hearth and home crafting are all popular during the winter because they're all activities that can be done inside. Um, especially if you live in an area where it's really cold and it snows a lot and outdoor life is just not happening in the winter months. Um, every witch's practice must be adjusted for the seasons and winter is a time when you take your active practices and reflect more internally upon them. And you can even transform them for indoor use if you are feeling particularly active. But probably, you know, the reading, the journaling, the researching, meditating, doing things inside the home, um, those are probably the best ways to continue to evolve and grow in your practice when nature is inaccessible or the atmosphere is just, you know, it's a barren time mm -hmm. during the year. So, and essentially, if you feel very inactive in the winter and you choose to do nothing, well, that's fine too. <laughs> well, yeah, because that's what the earth is doing, right? But, yeah, like you said. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, if you, you know, if you want to continue doing things, those are things that I recommend. Um, but also, if you're not feeling it, it's just fine not to do anything as well. <laughs> Even if you just want to sleep, you could just work on your dream work, right? There you go. Yeah. Definitely. Anything internal, for sure. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Very good. Should we do one, two more? What do you think? Um, we can try to see what we can get in. We can, All right. we can try to squeeze. Okay. Then plunging forward. <laughs> Heidi asks, do you need to have a separate altar for your God or goddess and ancestors, or can you use the same one? How far apart should they be? So it depends on what you believe or feel is right. For years, I didn't even have an altar. I had an altar in a basket that I literally kept under my bed because I was in the broom closet. So, but now that I'm out in the open, I keep several altars. I have my ancestors in my dining room and then I have uh, my gods have their own altars. So, but for me, it just felt right to keep the energy separate at the same time. I know many witches who have an altar where they honor ancestors, multiple gods, saints from different pantheons, all in the same space. And apparently they don't have any problems with it. So it's really about what you believe, what you feel is right or wrong, um, how you feel the energy in that space. For me, I felt like it would be too much energy in one space and it could get a little chaotic. Um, but, you know, it, again, it just depends on how you feel. So, yeah, that's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. And I, but I also think, oh, how do I put this? Uh, I think a lot of people separate their gods and goddesses from their ancestors because uh, it's a different type of veneration, yeah. if you will. Yeah, it so, is. So, you know, a lot of times when we work with deity, there's a sense of worship happening or 
Um, there's a sense of divinity happening there. Mm -hmm. Whereas when, when we work with our ancestors, it's more an, an honoring and a gratitude and um, a guidance. Yeah. Not saying that deities aren't, but it's, it's just different. And I think, I think that's why a lot of people separate those spaces and, you know, as far as how far apart they need to be, I mean, they could be right next to each other if you want. Um, or they I, like, you know, like you said, some people have them all together. But... I've literally seen altars with like a whole mess of saints and ancestors and, and I'm like, well, I mean, I guess that works for some people like, you know, <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it, it can, it can work. Um, mm -hmm. it depends on the person. It depends on what feels right for you. But, um, yeah, like I said, I think the reason that a lot of people choose to keep them in separate spaces is because it's a different type of energy, at least in my experience anyway. If I could just say one more thing on this, um, you also too, if you're going to be mixing pantheons with gods, you might want to do your research as far as history so right. like for example <laughs> i wouldn't mix like the roman pantheon necessarily with some of the celtic gods now i know some of the celtic gods kind of got absorbed into the roman pantheon and vice like vice versa there was some crossover but like i wouldn't mix an irish celtic god with a roman god that's just me because i feel like they would kind of be at war in some ways so just just you know do your research basically yeah, exactly. And I think, um, I say Irish, I meant British, my bad. I'm getting my historical <laughs> things crossed over anyway. <laughs> oh yeah. And I, I mean, by the same token though, um, like, yes, that's definitely a precaution, but at the same time, like <sighs> saints, were a way for um, deities to be Christianized, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So um, when you see particular saints and things on altars with deities, a lot of times that works really well together because essentially it's the same thing. That makes not. sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. does, that, does that make sense? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Making. I know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you're saying too. I'm just thinking if you're doing like the old pagan stuff, you might want to be careful of like oh, warring sure. tribes and things, you know. <laughs> oh, for sure. And mm -hmm. and that goes for two. Like in my experience, there are deities who are more possessive than others. Mm -hmm. And that's something to watch out for. And also deities who are uh tricksters or yep. have a, a trickster aspect to them um those are two other aspects that i would also precaution um about putting on altars with multiple you know deity energies or, or ancestor energies just yeah just take stock <laughs> yeah exactly just be careful do your research and you know yeah take stock agreed <laughs> and i think that is all we're going to have time for. All right. <laughs> so well, go ahead. Do you want to wrap it up? <laughs> yeah, I can wrap it up. So sorry if you submitted a question, we didn't get to it. That's just, it's the witching hour and the witching hour is up. 
So thank you for joining Alora and I again for another episode of the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast. If you're not a part of our Facebook group, we have a wonderful booming group there that shares a lot together and we learn a lot together. So um, just look us up, Otherworldly Oracle group. And yeah, I guess that's all I have to say. Thank you so much, Alora. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for doing this with me. I love every time we do a podcast and hopefully we will have another witching hour podcast soon. And the rest of the questions that we've got on our list, we'll get to, but until then guys stay witchy.